Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a filmmaker travels the world documenting UFO sightings. I was going to say, I don't think we're going to see anything. And just as I said the word see, literally a hundred or so of these lights came from the north horizon at a high rate of speed right across the sky to the south horizon in literally a second or two seconds. This podcast is brought to you by Canada's decontamination specialists, crime and trauma scene cleaners. Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners is committed to helping people when tragedy strikes. Their objective is to restore safety to an environment in the most professional and discreet manner possible. To contact Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners, visit crimescenecleaners.ca. Call 1-866-724-0800, 1-866-724-0800, or email them at info at crimescenecleaners.ca. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Monday. Today's episode and Wednesday's episode both feature speakers at the upcoming Alien Cosmic Expo taking place here in Toronto later this week. And I'll give you more details on that very shortly. First up, UFO researcher, filmmaker Rob Freeman is here to discuss his travels and experiences filming UFOs all over the world. Rob is a Canadian UFO researcher whose films and videos have captured some of the most amazing sights of anomalous craft in the sky above. An active field researcher, Rob has been interested in UFOs since age 12, when he saw something unexplainable above his parents' house. Rob Freeman, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Great, and thanks so much for having me on the show. My pleasure. Let's begin by reminding folks of your upcoming appearance at the Alien Cosmic Expo happening in Toronto at the Airport Marriott Hotel. And the conference runs September 21st and 22nd. Sunday, September the 22nd, you'll be speaking from 9.15 to 10.15. Sunday, September 22nd, 9.15 to 10.15. And again, that's at the Marriott, the uh, Airport Marriott Hotel in Toronto. What are you going to address? I'm going to be talking about cool strangeness, Richie. Cool strangeness. Yes, cool strangeness, you know, otherwise known as high strangeness. We're calling it cool strangeness because, you know, in this investigation of this subject, in you know, we're, we've now been traveling to 14 countries around the world over the last four years, and there's so many other things that happen. Like, you know, a lot of people, most people, uh, you know, do the CD5s and try to see things in the sky, and it's all about just looking for lights in the sky and Maybe something will come down closer. What we have actually found is when you, you know, get involved with these kind of things, a lot of other things happen around you. 
So we're calling that cool strangeness because there even appears to be a little bit of a trickster element to it. It's almost like this, you know, whether it's an intelligence or what it is, has a sense of humor. And, you know, different things happen and they just get you laughing. And it's like, you kind of walk away, it's like, man, oh, man. Uh, you know, it's, it's all sorts of things. Like the, the, one, the one thing that happens typically is batteries going dead. Right. All the equipment, the batteries go dead. And I'm sure you've come across that many times in this business. But all the batteries will go dead. The iPhones will go dead. Everything goes dead, even though it's fully charged. And then, you know, moments later or minutes later, everything comes back on again. Uh, we had one time where Mark's camera, he was interviewing Damien Knott, uh, you know, one of the top uh, UFO experiencers and observers in Australia. And just as Marcus was saying, uh, what kind of strange things have you had happen? His audio channel goes out on his camera. And, <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like there's that wink, wink, nudge, nudge again. It's kind of like there's a little bit of a sense of humor. Right. You say, Marcus. Um, we should remind people, Marcus McNabb, of course. Your uh, your du- your du- director and and uh, a partner, and the, and the two of you traveling the world, filming the ET phenomenon. Let me just back up uh, for those not familiar with your entree into the world of cool strangeness. Take us back to uh, when you were twelve. What did you see? Yeah, so I was 12 years old. It was 1966. It was March, uh, I think it was like the 28th or 29th. And I had just finished scouts. And my mom had told me, when you're finished, just give me a shout. I will be along in about 15 minutes. You just go out and scouts through the back door. They have to lock up the church. So just wait for me. I will be along in about 15 minutes. That was great. So scouts was over uh, and I called her, and she said she'd be alone. So I went outside, and as soon as I went outside, there were these kids sort of playing in the street, young kids, and they said, hey, mister, there's a helicopter up in the sky. And I looked at it, and I thought, that's not a helicopter. And I was thinking, you know, like, what is it? It was a very bright light. There was no sound to it. There was no indication of any rotors turning. And it was going slowly from the north to the south, and then it would just change direction and it would be going to the north again. Now, these kids kind of disappeared, and I was there all by myself. This is in Sarnia, Ontario, Canada, right at the bottom of Lake Huron, where Lake Huron empties into the St. Clair River, and across from Lake Huron is Port Huron, Michigan, in the United States. And this church uh, was between Front uh, and Christina Street, and Front Street is, of course, the front of the river. It's right against the river there. So this, whatever it was, was going from north to south and back again. It was just going back and forth slowly. Each time it did that, it would come lower. So initially it was up at maybe 800 feet. That's what I estimated it to be at. But as I studied it, Richard, the strange thing was is that it when it changed directions, it was in an instant. So if you blink, if you blink your eye, the next 
as soon as you open your eye, when you blink quickly, it was going in the other direction. They didn't, I never saw it come to a stop. It just was going in the other direction all of a sudden. You know, I thought that was only possible in video games, but um, we didn't have video games back then. This is, you know, many years before the internet, of course. Um, and it was a, it was a bad time I, I started to begin to think, is this a UFO? And it was during 1966 when they had the big flap in yes. Michigan. Yes. Uh, when all the sightings were uh, had, including a landing, where a, I think it was a school of girls witnessed a landing. Um, so, and I didn't know too much about that. I just know it was in the papers at that time. And I, I did have somewhat of an interest in it. And I remember I was actually reading a book at the time about these kind of things. So I was outside, and as this thing kept getting lower each time, I could see the light more clearer what it was. And it appeared to be a lens in the bottom of this, whatever it was. And then what kind of really made the hair stand up on my arms where was that I could see figures moving behind this lens or whatever it was. And just then I, I was kind of, I just really felt I was being stalked by something. And I was kind of saying my prayers to myself, you know, please, mom, you know, get here as soon as you can. And literally just then she arrived. And I, I was all excited, kind of scared, but excited at the same time. And I said, mom, you got to get out of the car. Uh, there's a UFO up in the sky. And she said, oh, Roger, so it's probably a, a plane or a helicopter or a balloon or birds or something. And I said, no, it's a UFO. Get out of the car. And maybe 30 seconds went by and she finally was like, all right, you know, just to satisfy my nagging, she got out of the car. We looked up and it was gone, of course. Of course. So, you know, and I really felt uh, like, you know, I'm being judged as this person that's just making up this whole story. And I wasn't happy. You know, there wasn't too much talking on the way home. Got home, I told my brother and dad about this, and everybody just laughed. And I just closed my door when I did my homework, and that was that. But the next day, when I got home, my mom was all excited, and, and she had the newspaper open, and she said, Rob, what you saw last night is all over the newspaper. And I thought, yes, there is a God. And... Um, that was great. That was my moment of validation. And I've never really needed validation since. I just needed it the once. And um, that was great. My mom read the story to me. Um, she said how that the U.S. Air Force had scrambled fighters after it uh, from the Selfridge Air Force Base, just south of Port Huron, Michigan, in the U.S. side. And they, they couldn't catch it. It just took off at a high rate of speed, and it was gone. So in the newspaper, there was accounts of policemen that had seen it, and various different officials. And, and on the second page, they got into all the details and named names of the people at the Air Force Base that they personally talked to who, who spoke all about this and what they did. And that was great. My mom read it to me. And uh, so that was pretty cool. And then... Two weeks later, not two weeks, but roughly two weeks, my friend who lived across the street, because, uh, you know, now I'm a celebrity at school who, who is the person who saw this that was in the newspaper, 
Uh, there was over 200 people that saw it, but at our school, I was kind of the person that saw it. So my friend across the street, he said, well, I'd love to see a flying saucer. Can, can we, how can we do that? And I said, well, maybe if we go on the roof of my house, you know, one night when the sky is clear, maybe, maybe we'll see something. So we literally did it. We literally went uh, two weeks. You know, we went two weeks later. And uh, there, at that, I think it was like two weeks later after that we went. And we were with all of our, um, you know, blankets, pillows, um, uh, uh, binoculars, camera, walkie-talkies, compass, notebook, pencil, you name it, pillows. And we were up there watching. And 30 minutes passed by, and uh, nothing had happened. And so I said to him, I said, you know, I don't think we're going to see. And as I said the word, I'd never completed my sentence. I was going to say, I don't think we're going to see anything. And just as I said the word see, literally a hundred or so of these lights um, came from the north horizon at a high rate of speed right across the sky, across the heavens to the south horizon in literally a second or two seconds, just right across the entire sky. A hundred lights, a hundred lights. Uh, well, may have been more, may have been you know, more or less. And uh, uh, we didn't know what it was. Like, was it meteorites of some kind? Like some kind of meteor shower? We didn't know. We were talking about like, what was that? And we couldn't figure it out. And it's just an incredible speed right across the sky. And 30 seconds later, they went from the south back to the north. And, of course, we saw that and we thought, okay, those are no meteorites. And it was the same thing. It was hundreds of lights that were right across the sky. So we were all excited. We climbed down the antenna, you know, uh, X, X, you know, the ones with all the X's. We could just climb on them. We climbed down, went across to his folks' house where... Um, my my parents were having coffee with his parents, and we were all excited to tell the story, and they really weren't interested no. at all. <laughs> they completely thought we were making the story up, and we went back to my place and just watched Star Trek for the night. And that was that. And, you know, over the years, um, I would, you know, look in the sky, but I never really saw anything. And... Uh, I don't know how much more of the story you want me to tell, Richard. Well, to, I just, I, uh, I'm curious because, as you say, 1966, you're in close proximity to Michigan. You mentioned the, yeah. Hill, the Hillsdale College sighting, I think you were referring to. Uh, yeah. Which, I mean, I just, I spoke to Preston Dennett recently on, on Coast to Coast, and we went down the, the laundry list of schoolyard UFO encounters uh, and um, and we were trying to figure out, you know, why children? Why did they appear to children? Uh, and it and it almost seemed like you were summoning. Do you think you were summoning them? That they were well, answering your yeah, call? That's the whole thing. Well, you know, here's the thing. It never occurred to me that that might be the case. Never, not in a million years. And then years later, um, you know, I had done some films with Marcus. Marcus is a producer of children's films. There's that connection again, possibly. But, uh, you know, we were at my house doing a film. Between sets, 
there's lots of time for conversation. Uh, when the you know actors are getting themselves made up, and it came up about UFOs, and I told my story. People wanted to know if anybody had seen UFOs, and I told my story. What I didn't know is Marcus went away and did a lot of research for a few months. And he came back and he said, Rob, we're going out for lunch. I've got a proposal to make. And we, we met for lunch. He said, we're, we're going around the world. We're going to travel. We're going to meet people. We're going to interview people. We're going to go out in the field with them, and we're going to try to make contact. And he said, believe it or not, that second episode you had with the UFOs within a couple weeks of the first, you guys called them in. You guys called them in. And I thought, really? You know, part of me was inquisitive, like, is that possible? And part of me said, no, impossible. It was a coincidence. So we had a discussion, and Mark said, really, Rob, is that a coincidence? You know, most people never see anything in their entire life, and you had two fabulous sightings within two weeks of each other. Right. And you went up on the roof with the intention, and there's that word, with the intention to see something, and as young boys with open minds and open hearts and pure intentions, you did see something. He said, you guys called them in. He said, I've talked to people all over the world, I've done my research, you guys called them in. He said, we're going to do the same. We're going to learn how to formally do it, and we're going to call them in. So, um, he said, we're going around the world. Right. We're going around the world. We're going to see people. And I said, okay, who's going to pay for it? And he said, well, you are. And I said, okay, <laughs> well, let's do it. So, I like know, this Marcus. Guy, right? he's, he's forward. He's direct. He is. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, we started our, our, uh, our traveling. We went to Area 51. Of course, we couldn't get in, but we went to the area. We met all the guys in California. We met people in Phoenix, you know, Phoenix Lights. We'd seen the Phoenix Lights. Sure. Jeff Wallace and so on. And we, we started our, our trek, and, and that was four years ago, four years ago now. And so here we are today. More of my conversation with Rob Freeman when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. I was just on the GetTheTea.com website, and they've got some tremendous specials going on right now. For example, if you buy two packages of Takedown Tea, which is great for glucose maintenance, by the way, you get the third package for free. And if you buy a year's supply of the Super Strength Life Change Tea, you save $70. Now, in the meantime, I keep drinking my life change tea every day. One cold, refreshing glass of this amazing non-GMO herbal tea every morning keeps me going. Tastes great and provides a gentle cleanse. It's time to get on board and discover the tea that everyone's talking about. Nothing does what life change tea does. And you can get yours right now at getthetea.com. As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? No, me either. 
But I guess he better say it because of Richard, you know, he's all wrapped up in this stuff. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Filmmaker, UFO researcher Rob Freeman is here. I'm sure you get asked about this one all the time. And it, I mean, it captured international headlines. Uh, and that's the Squamish BC sighting. Tell me about that. Yes, that was very interesting. We had been invited out to Vancouver, BC by Charles Lamour. Charles is quite a sky watcher and catches orbs with his camera equipment and has had them come right to his balcony, big balls of, uh, I believe, red light, I'm not sure. Uh, so he's got quite the stories, and we were uh, very interested in meeting him. So we took all the equipment out to Vancouver. We were set up in a park, and uh, we had, you know, some orbs appear in the infrared and various equipment. And we went to another location the second night. And then the third night, it wasn't very good weather. It was raining. And we were there. We thought, well, you know, we're going to be leaving the next day. We, we, you know, can we not do something? So we looked at the forecast, and the more north you went, the better it got. So we told... Uh, Charles, that, you know, we're going to head up to, you know, we're going to go north. And we asked him where a good place to go might be. And he said, well, Britannia Beach, that might be a good spot because they've got that old mining set up there uh, on the, uh, the, the um, what is it called? Cheetah Sky Highway. So we went up there and he said he would just stay home. You know, it's raining and, uh, uh, we had a great time the previous two nights, and that was fine. We would just stay home. So we drove up to Britannia Beach. We looked around. We didn't really get any good vibes. We just thought, you know, this doesn't feel right. We stopped into a gift shop there. Uh, we talked to two ladies. They uh, sell, you know, among other things, crystals and stuff, uh, gifts and so on. And we asked them if they saw anything in the area in general. You know, were things being seen in the Britannia Beach area? And they said no. So we said, well, is there anywhere you can see things nearby? And she said, well, Squamish, B.C. She said, there's a big rock. It's called the Chief. It's a granite monolith. It goes straight up. And I was aware of that. You know, I've been skiing at Whistler many times. So you go through Squamish to get to Whistler. So I was aware of that. She said, many people have seen orbs above the mountain there. So we thought, great, that's where we're heading. So we drove up to Squamish. We, we thought, where should we go? Uh, we drove around the town for an event, for a vantage point, and there was just too many lights. Uh, then we drove sort of just out of the town around the roads, and there were some uh, lumber uh, you know, roads, I guess, uh, you know, outside of town, and we drove around those looking for a good vantage point, and we found one. And as we found it, and it's the spot that's in the video, we said to ourselves, this is it. And we really felt we were going to see something. It's like a feeling came over us that, yes, we're going to uh, make contact here in one way or another. We're going we're gonna to definitely see something. So I set up my equipment, that was like, I don't know, four o'clock in the afternoon. It was still light. And I was doing various shots and so on through the evening. And we were talking. And 
Uh, at that time, I didn't record with my cameras nonstop. Um, I would record only when I saw something. Because I've got eight different video cameras, and to record nonstop, that's a lot of footage to go throughout. Oh, yes, yes. But I, but I learned my lesson, and I do leave all cameras running now for the entire time that we go sky watching every night. So I've got, you know, gigabytes and gigabytes of footage every single time. Eight, eight uh, cameras times typically eight hours, so 64 hours every night with the footage to go through the next day. So, you know, I, I, I get a little bit of help with guys like Dan Berg and so on. So we were watching and talking, and all of a sudden, at 10.59 p.m., a light appeared and was going across the sky. And Bezan, who was with us, saw it, and, and she said, what's that? And I turned. I was standing beside the WMB, you know, weapon of mass detection or debunction, or debunking. <laughs> and I immediately, my reflex was to try to train the cameras on it. And I immediately thought, which camera? Well, I thought the zoom night vision one would be the one that I'll focus on because uh, it was easy to turn on. And I turned it on, and I immediately thought, shall I turn the other cameras on? or just keep my eye on the screen for this camera. And then my, my uh, instinct was, look, you've got it in screen. Do not try to get it in the other cameras or turn them on, I should say. They're already on, but don't try to hit the record button on the other cameras because you're going to lose it. And I could see that it was, in a few seconds, going to go into the woods. So I just quickly watched it in the night vision screen and followed it with the tripod head. And I managed to get it. And I, you know, at first I thought it was just an airplane with its landing lights on going across. And it was just a light. And I didn't think it was a UFO or an orb or anything like that. But I thought, okay, you got to record it, record everything, and you can always delete it later. As I was following it across, and I think the video is only like 10 seconds long, as I was following it, I noticed it actually went into the woods. And that's where you hear me say, oh, because I was as surprised as anybody that this light was actually going into the woods. It's like, what the heck? And you can hear me saying on the video that an airplane in Breslin says, I don't think so, because there was no sound. And it was true. There was no sound. It was this big ball of light, and it was bright. It was a yellowy white color. It shows up as green in the night vision. Yes, yes. And we just just went on a direct path and right into the woods. So I tried to follow it, but as it went deeper into the woods, it was lost. And, you know, I tried to follow it. I tried to look for it there in the video, and then it was gone. So, you know, we then wanted to immediately play it back, and, and we did. And we watched it many times, and I thought, oh boy, oh, boy, Charles is not going to be happy when I send him this video. Because he missed uh, it. Is, you know, he missed it. Yeah. This is a chance of a lifetime, and he missed it. And uh, But I thought, well, he's the guy that invited us out. We did invite him up there. I thought, I'm going to, and he's quite a researcher. He's, you know, he's a debunker as well. And I and I thought, well, I, I've got to send it to him. I want to get his take on it. So I sent it to him. I said, you're not going to be happy, but this is what we just got. 
and he was also surprised and, uh, you know, he, of course, regretted a little bit that he wasn't able to be there, but did appreciate that we sent it to him first. And he started doing some research right away. He uh, already proved that it wasn't the ISS, that the ISS had come through 15 minutes earlier or so. And uh, likely we wouldn't have been able to see the ISS. And, uh, you know, there were no planes in the area. So, you know, he didn't think it was the ISS from his initial research that he did or an airplane. We contacted uh, MUFON, I guess, within a short time after that. Um, and, you know, Dave Palachuk started investigating it. And his conclusion that was that it was unknown. Uh, we also, I contacted the paper, local paper. I really felt that this was a very, um, you know, unique event that happened in their community. And I really felt that I owed it to the community to let them know what occurred and that it should be documented. Um, so I contacted the paper and they interviewed myself and Mark, Marcus. And, uh, you know, so with that article and then it being on YouTube, it just kind of blew up. And we got contacted by Coast to Coast. I uh, got contacted by many people with different blogs and, you know, radio um, programs and so on and uh, different um, people that write articles. And uh, it just it just went from there, Richie. Right. And that's, that's, a, and sac- we, we, yeah. that's a sacred mountain, uh, right? The chief. Uh, I mean, it, yeah, it is. It is. Are there are there similar sightings to the one you captured in that area that go back according to legend? Well, all I know is that those two ladies said that you know orbs have been seen many times, and that's the only information I have at at, at this time. Mm. Uh, I know. You know, we we were almost a little bit in denial because we thought, even though, you know, Charles has said this is not the ISS, we wanted to go back and try to debunk it and prove to ourselves that it wasn't the ISS. So, uh, you know, a couple months later or so, we went back and we had a couple of apps that I downloaded onto my phone that showed where the ISS would have been for that night. And I did another video. Uh, I turn on YouTube and I show where the ISS would be and I show how high it would be and so on and it would not have been seen at any time and showed also that it had come through earlier. Now, here's the interesting part, Richard, is that Charles told us he has followed the ISS many times with cameras and on several occasions he has seen orbs uh, before during or after when the ISS goes through. Uh, he's captured them many times. And so he said it's quite possible that we actually had a sighting of these orbs that are associated with the ISS. Hmm. And, um, you know, because many people have said, oh, it's the ISS you captured. But we, we went back and we meticulously, uh, uh, you know, documented and we meticulously showed where the ISS would have been. So That's a tiny you know, light in the sky, though. Many, I've seen the ISS go by. That's a tiny light in the sky, way, way up there. I mean, this, what you captured, uh, much, much lower, m- much closer. Yeah, 
you know, I mean, it went into the woods. Yeah, and, I mean, come on, that's that's almost, that's like the uh, Rendlesham Forest uh, incident when they tried to convince them it was a lighthouse. Yeah, I know. You know, but we we did spend the money, we did spend the time. We really wanted to prove it to ourselves. Sure, sure. That it wasn't the ISS that we were seeing. Yeah. Now, um, so we did, you know. Yeah. What do you still do? You get the sense, though, that that it's because you want them to be there that they're there, and and I'm wondering. I mean, at that time, were you familiar with, let's say, Dr. Stephen Greer's CE five initiative? The you know this whole protocol protocol for going out and summoning them. Yes, it was really Dr. Greer who got me started, because, well. You know, Marcus was the one who said we're going to do it, but within a couple months of him requesting that we do that and we committing to doing that, I signed up for an expedition with Dr. Greer in Durango, Colorado. And, uh, you know, that was a fantastic week. We had many sightings. He showed us all his secret photos and videos of things, which I imagine will appear in this current documentary that he's working on that was pretty cool and i had two things happen at that expedition that made me not a believer i was already a believer at this point but a knower there's a difference between being a believer and a knower um during that week during one of the meditations uh it was one of the people got a message that there was going to be a sighting at 11, 11 p.m. And Dr. Greer at 11 had decided that we would have our break and that if you wanted to go back to the hotel or motel, I guess you would say it was, you could, or if you wanted to stay, pardon me, you could just stay. Half the people decided that they wanted to get freshened up and have something to drink. They left at 11. And the other half, including me, stayed. I thought, well, you know, if it's predicted there's going to be something at 11-11, I'm not going to miss it. Maybe it's not true. Maybe it won't happen. But maybe it will. And I'm not going to be upstairs at the, uh, you know, we're in the little valley, and I'm not going to be up top in the motel while everybody else is seeing something. So I stayed back. And we were all around the circle, those that were left. I was across from Dr. Greer. And... At exactly 11.11, I happened to look above him, and I saw this light. And it was maybe, oh, 25 or 30 degrees above the horizon. I looked closely at it, and I could see that it was moving uh, up, like at an angle, maybe about a 30-degree angle. And it was moving in a spiral direction, like it was spiraling. And I thought, in a corkscrew type of a manner. And I said, Dr. Greer, I think there's something in the sky behind you. And he looked at it and he said, yes, as he, as he, as he watched it, he said, yes, that's offensive. That's some kind of a craft because he also could see that it was <clears throat> moving in a spiral pattern. Now, one of the other fellows, Cameron, who was sitting beside me, he had his tripod set up with a camera and he immediately jumped up and started doing a time lapse of 20 seconds. And after the event was over, he uh, put the object on the screen. It was a one, fo- it was one photo, 
he put it on the screen and he was moving the object around in the screen so you could see the pattern it left on the screen. And sure enough, it was like it looked like a spring, like a coil, because it painted a spiral in the picture. So as he was describing that and showing the group and Dr. Greer, I had my video camera, I turned it on, and I had it facing over the shoulder of Dr. Greer at the uh, at, at what Cameron was showing on his screen. I got the whole thing recorded. I put that on the internet on YouTube. It's uh, uh, UFO Spiral, Durango, Colorado, you know, Dr. Greer. You can see it, and you can download the photo. It's you can you can see the video of him talking, Doctor Greer, and talking about it. So that was pretty fantastic when mm. I saw that. But another event happened. While I think it was after we did a meditation, a group meditation, and you know, super five stuff protocols. Uh, we were just talking around the group, and I happened to look away from the group, and there was a little tree there. Uh, more or less a big bush, but kind of a small tree, and it flashed, like it lit up, like like there was like a flashbulb inside it, in the branches. And I thought, what the heck? And Dr. Greer had seen it because he was on the other side of the circle facing towards me and would be able to see that tree. And he said, how many people just saw that? And he didn't say what it was. He wanted to hear what people said didn't want to influence what they might have seen. Right. So he said, how many people saw that? And I said, I did. And he asked the people, what did you see? And we all said we saw the tree light up. So th between that and the, this corkscrew sighting, that's what made me a knower. I had, not only did I have something happen in the sky, or we, I had something happen at ground level. And so... Once again, many people are looking at lights in the sky, but be aware and be looking for all the things that can happen around you. And we call those kind of things, cool, we call them cool strangers. Right, and on the ground. Uh, on the ground, that's what I mean. Yeah. On the ground, in the, just above, around you, I mean, there's so many different things that can happen, and that seems to be all part of this phenomenon. You're going to be bringing some video, some some slides, I'm guessing, to uh, the Alien Cosmic Expo? Yeah, we had uh, quite an incident happen uh, with a check where a check that was Liz's rent was torn out of her book, given to the landlord. But when we got back from Australia, the check was still in her book. So that was a, an incident of cool high strangeness <laughs> and cool strangeness that we documented. I think uh, Mark's going to have that in the presentation for me. And we had, I'm not sure if he's going to show some of the things we had happen in Playa Yaya. That's a beach uh, just south of Lima in Peru. We had a whole night of strange, interesting things happen. Uh, so we're going to have, you know, our, the presentation is going to be partially showing all these things that happened and documented video, I believe, and the other part of it will be a Q&A. So we're excited. We're excited to be at the uh, Alien Cosmic Expo, and I'm excited also to sit and listen and watch all the other speakers that are going to be there. And again, 
the Alien Cosmic Expo happening the 21st and 22nd of September, coming up very quickly. And um, uh, you will be speaking, or presenting rather, at 9.15 on the Sunday, 9.15 in the morning, along with Marcus McNabb, your partner, and Airport Marriott Hotel is the location in Toronto. People can go to aliencosmicexpo.com for more information and to register. Well, Rob, I hope to see and, you there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and Richard, why don't you just give a quick rundown on who's going to be there because it's a, it's a great slate of speakers. Well, uh, absolutely. Um, on Saturday, you've got uh, an experiencer workshop hosted by Leslie Mitchell-Clark and Wes Roberts, and they were on uh, the podcast with me earlier and my weekly radio show. Paula Harris was just with me. Uh, she'll be there um, on the Saturday as well. Uh, the Honorable Paul Hellyer. Uh, Travis Walton, of course, uh, Richard Dolan, Grant Cameron, uh, Randy Kramer, who I'll be speaking with uh, shortly. Uh, it's, again, just a who's who of, uh, of uh, people in the, uh, the world of ufology. Well, I, for one, am really looking forward to it. Likewise. I hope to see you there. Sure. Thank you so much, Richard. <laughs> Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll return with a few words about Wednesday's episode. People are starting to finally discover my strange planet shop, and they are loving the gear. The Mayan calendar design seems to be very popular right now, and it's beautiful if I do say so myself. Rick Forgus from Atomic Werewolf Studios in Phoenix has done an absolutely amazing job with all of the designs. The Nazca Lines design is also fantastic, but I think my favorite right now is the Time to Redefine Reality t-shirt. But there's so much more than tees. There's mugs and leggings and tote bags and sweatshirts and hoodies and new designs and products arriving every week. You've got to check it out. Just go to strangeplanet.ca and click on the Strange Planet Shop button at the bottom of the page. Strangeplanet.ca. It's a strange planet. Grab the gear. Take the journey. Coming up next on Conspiracy Unlimited, one of the preeminent UFO disclosure researchers, author, historian Richard Dolan, discusses the greatest UFO document leak of the century. Wilson found a special access program buried deep, 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 what are called unacknowledged or carve-outs or waived programs. These are, even for the black budget, this is very, very deep. Wilson found a program that appeared to be perhaps what he was looking for. And he was able to get to talk to the program manager of this by phone, and then he got on a conference call with the program manager, corporate attorney, and the security officer of this program. And he said, this is your oversight that you did not bring me in to monitor this program. I should be authorized to monitor it. You need to bring me in. They said, well, we'll get back to you. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. 
Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>